Welcome to San Diego Magazine's Happy Half Hour. This is our exceptionally fun and food drink focused podcast for you, our San Diego community. I am David Martin, one of your hosts. Marie and Troy, tell me the good things that are happening with you guys today. Marie, you are go you ahead. Good? You look like you're just, no, you're full of good. So we sent the April issue to press. So that was um, our biggest news from last week. And I'm going to share my screen with everybody. That way you can see the two final contenders. Ooh, I love the, this is my favorite games that the magazine was when seeing all of the covers on the wall and just getting to critique them. It, uh, this is the, the process here, right? I mean, and Marie mm -hmm. is d definitely more ingrained in the process than I am. And you, uh, you know, for being a citywide publication, you want a, ma a magazine cover, A, that's artistic, you know, that doesn't just, it doesn't look like Rambos and Puppies and SeaWorld and, and you know, that, and tourists, somebody in a Tommy <laughs> Bahama shirt drinking a margarita. You want something that has a little bit of heft to it. You know, and you also want something beautiful and you also want something that's striking and you want something that somebody will see on the, you know, among a thousand other magazines, they have to pick out your magazine, right? So it has to scream a little bit. So Marie, tell us about the issue about this. And this is like the inner fights that we have, not fights really. I'm making it sound a lot more contentious than it is. <laughs> it's, but just in, it's just inside baseball, just kind of a little peek into the process. So I think we had like 10 or eight cover options and then I narrowed it down to two and then the staff kind of decides which ones they like the best. Uh, Troy, you are better at painting a picture. So do you want to tell our listeners what you're seeing right here? This was option one. Oh, and I did want to talk about our cover model. Uh, the woman on our April cover is Carlene Chavez. She's the chief meteorologist at CBS 8. And she hiked South Fortuna, which is not an easy hike to do this cover shoot for us. Awesome. I mean, this is so every every month we send these two possible images around to all the editorial staff and we all weigh in. Well, this month we were completely split because Marie and I were both goth dark hearts in our in our heart of hearts you know like she and i don't like pretty things you know like we remember there was like san diego magazine cover way back in the day that had a boat it was an aerial shot of a boat drawing a heart in its wake by the coronado bridge you know and i to this day and that god bless that graphic designer because she was really good but this was oh, not no. her best idea and it was I, I i cringed i cringed at it i'm like come on like i want i want it to look like andy warhol had a hand in this you know and we're, we're not maybe not going to get there but we'll get, let's get as close as we possibly can so this one has her looking out it's just this sunset coming over the hill there's shining light she's looking at her future it's powerful it's a sunset though marie on the other hand, wanted the other option, which made me just looking at it, sneeze and cough and need some water. <laughs> you were thinking about spring allergies. Now, see, I didn't want to go with the sunset cover for the reasons that Troy just mentioned. We, I wanted to do something different. And, you know, on the newsstand, you've got two seconds to get someone's attention. And, you know, at Vons, at CVS, uh, we're next to us weekly in Sunset. We're competing with national magazines. And I thought the Sunset is what people expect of us. So I wanted to go with this, but then Troy said it made him want to take Claritin. So I, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the staff did say that they felt the Sunset photo was just hopeful and it made them feel good and happy and i thought okay that's a strong emotional response so i lost the sunset battle <laughs> the staff <laughs> everyone guided me in the right direction um kind of in the, in the looking forward one but i need you to know that i really respect you not liking sunsets i really because i i feel the same way i'm like i can just go on instagram at any point in the day and see a billion of them you know so anyways that's our cover that's how we decided we go back and forth and we end up with something I, this time i voted for the really basic bro one i'm like ooh, pretty sunset that's great she looks like she's looking into her future and the future looks really bright um so yeah that's it that's what you find at san diego Magazine. <laughs> and, and you should find this on um, subscribers, you should be getting your copy next week, and it should be on newsstands uh, the week after that. Nice. Right on. Well, someone whose future is really bright is our really, really great guest today, Megan Stone from Society Brewing. Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And I believe we were talking about before that you are podcasting from your car, and so this is where we then go and we ask Honda for a hatchback correct? Yes, please. 
Awesome. Well, if you haven't listened to the show before, we kind of start off with a little segment called Hot Plates, where we go through your news and notes throughout San Diego County. And then we'll have a whole segment with Megan and everything they've done that's really cool in town. So let's just jump right into Hot Plates. And I think obviously the biggest news of the day is that we are moving into the red tier. We are. So by the time you're hearing this, San Diego County has moved out of the purple tier and into the red tier. Uh, the county said this morning, um, uh, we're taping Tuesday, March 16th, that the case rate is 6.8 per 100,000. So the county was able to move into the red on Wednesday, March 17th. This means restaurants can have indoor dining at 25% capacity and breweries, wineries, and distilleries also can serve alcohol outdoors without having to offer food. But this doesn't apply to bars. A bar that doesn't serve food still has to remain closed. And for the breweries and wineries, um, you have to make a reservation. Your table time is limited to 90 minutes and cutoff time is 8 p.m. So I guess it's like drinking in Utah, but <laughs> that's, uh, that's where we're at and that's the latest news. I mean, this is this has been a hard year. It's been a hard year, not everybody, yeah. right? I mean, this is this is ideally the greatest news that we could feel. Of course, all of us have you know reluctance with it too because human health comes first. You know, it's you don't know, but it's such the this is the hardest existential struggle I have ever seen in my you know twelve years of covering food in San Diego and just covering the city. You know, you have all these small business owners that are just struggling. Are have lost their their existence, lost their business, lost their dreams, lost their life savings. You know, and you know who you know are are just trying to hang on and they need to get as many people and bodies into the restaurant as safely as possible in order to survive. And then on the other hand, obviously, you know, like the human health comes absolutely first. So you're trying to follow the numbers. And so I, I guess I don't make any value a judgment in terms of, you know, health value on this because I'm not qualified to do that. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, an expert. I'm not a virologist. You follow the numbers. If the, I talked to the head of UCSD uh, infectious diseases and he said follow the guidelines he's like i will tell you this honestly those guidelines usually are just about correct on what we should do and if they say that we should be open you know 25 percent, then i trust our human health guidelines i trust that they're doing it right because california has been more conservative on protecting human health than any other state really has you know so i'm glad to see this happen if it sounds like the right thing to do for human health and the right thing to do for our you know local businesses who need some help but i'm really interested to to hear you, Megan, I'm really interested to see what you think as somebody who's in the craft beer industry as well, like how it affects breweries, what your perspective is on it from working inside the industry. I mean, I think it's really great that people are able to stop by and not have to order food. I mean, sometimes you just want to stop by and have a quick beer and it does allow for breweries to, to gain some more business in that sense. Like someone can stop by on you know, a weekday at like 3 p.m. and they don't necessarily want like a meal at that time, but it's great to be able to, to enjoy like a quick beer with a friend. And and yeah, it's just great for for business and and for people as long as everyone's doing like doing things safely. I think it's I think it's great. Yeah. How do you guys feel, Barry? How do you feel about the red tier? I mean, are you going to be comfortable going inside of a restaurant? I think personally, I won't sit inside a restaurant or a brewery quite yet. Um, I feel much more comfortable being outside, but that's just my personal opinion. I, I know there's a lot of places that are doing things safely, but that's just how I feel. I, I, I have to echo that same sentiment too. You know, as much as I want, it's, it, it pains me to say that because I really want to make sure that my mom and pop restaurants survive, even though they did just get a lot of financial help from the new stimulus package. They're really, really happy about this, which is fantastic. Um, but I don't feel comfortable yet sitting inside. You know, I mean, I will definitely be a patio guy for, you know, for the, you know, foreseeable future until that really, really changes. What about you, Marie? Yeah, I'm not going inside anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I'm sticking to outside. I think it's kind of BS that it's like not open to bars though. I mean, alcohol is alcohol, if you ask me. And so it's like to not have the bars open. So I just hope that they find a workaround there, whether it's, you know, uh, food trucks or something like that, so that can work with, the bars to see them open as well. 
Yeah, I mean, that's been the big thing with, with alcohol, right? I mean, alcohol reduces your inhibitions and reduces, it definitely affects my decision making. I've made some of my most glorious and unfortunate decisions when I've had a few too many, you know, in, in life. So, I mean, and, and part of that may be that I'm like, I don't need the mask or it's not even that. I, I, I'm such a mask person that I think I would just be like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. And that's the only thought that my brain has capacity for, right? Like I just go directly without the mask, you know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. so you they're trying to balance that all out, you know, and what's right. I totally agree with you though. It's if they're, it's, it's hard to keep bars closed at this point in time on the outdoors, you know, like if let people have a couple of drinks, I mean, making them have food with it seems a little bit um, extra punitive to our bar only establishments in San Diego, you know, I mean, your dive bars of the world. Things are really starting to feel normal. We're really happy to report about some events coming up, actual food events in San Diego. So it's the annual Taste of Third, and it's happening this weekend in Chula Vista from Thursday, March 18th to Saturday, March 20th. It's a walking tour of the restaurants on Chula Vista's downtown Third Avenue. Tickets are $25 a day, and you get to sample food and drinks from 20 different restaurants like Brew Bar, Don Pedro's Taco Shop, and El Cruce 241. You can pick and choose what places you want to visit, or you can visit all 20 of them for uh, a sample or drinks to take home. And the menu changes every day, and it's up to the establishment as to what they're serving. So it's kind of like, it'll be a fun surprise. You don't quite know what you're getting. You do have to buy tickets in advance, and you can visit thirdavenuevillage.com. 20 samples sounds like a challenge, Troy. Um, do you think you could do 20 samples and <laughs> and one festival visit? I, I definitely could, you know, but there, <laughs> there was, I, when I did our best, our guide to Asian food along Convoy, and this was like five or six years ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was doing five tastings a day, um, at one every hour and five dishes at every, every place I went. So oh, it was wow. 25 dishes in a day, you know, but you just, you just take nibbles, you know, at that point, you're just like a wine taster, or as I'm sure Megan knows, you know, beer tasting, you know, you can't drink the entire thing if you're tasting a lot of beers, otherwise, you know, it's going to be a very incarcerated day for you. You know, <laughs> it's going to be, you know, you're going to end up in, in jail somewhere. So you just, I mean, I go out and I just have a couple bites and I try and get a, I get a, a, a feel for the food, you know, and then ideally take it home, give it to, um, there are some, you know, there are definitely, um, homeless people in my neighborhood. I usually give it, um, good walk down there and give it out or, you know, I repurpose the food for my family the next day and some kind of dish. I consider myself like a food and drink fest aficionado of sorts. And I think 20 samples is no problem. I can do that easily. (laughs) If not more, the secret is what you choose to sample it's like so a lot of times they'll have different options it's like just stay away from all the gluten stay away from anything bready stay away from anything deep fried and uh it's a no-brainer except for after a few beers you might want that deep fried <laughs> yes and, yeah. and then a nap Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and then so we have a uh, one last piece of news here uh, a restaurant that announced two years ago that it was coming to san diego is finally open it's a Coco Ichibanya, and it's a Japanese curry chain that has almost 1,500 locations around the world, and they just opened on a Convoy Street. And have either of you guys had Japanese curry? I know we were talking about this with Tony Guan. Are you familiar with it? Yes. So, okay. Yeah, it's just, um, just imagine like brown curry powder kind of in a roux with a sauce uh, served over rice normally over pork or chicken katsu, that's a deep fried cutlet. It's really popular where I'm from, but I, I, I haven't really seen too many places here that serve it. And I wanna do a quick screen share. So yeah, it's it. like, um, and you can also like have it in a beef stew. Oh, David, I wanted to show you this one. Have you seen this before? <laughs> Vermont, Vermont curry? curry? Yeah, you can you can make it at home too. So it's like a brick of curry powder and then you throw it in the pot with water and then the meat and the carrots and the potatoes. So yeah, it's a popular brand that um, makes like an at-home version of the curry. But the one at Coco Ichibanya is way better. And you can customize, <laughs> like obviously, you can customize your order. You can tell them, you know, how much rice you want. You can have all different kinds of meat with it or seafood. So this this is a really, you know, cool new thing that we're getting in the convoy district. 
Yeah, and usually what I've my experience with it is it is because of the flour because of the root is a thicker. So it's yeah. basically it's like a almost eats like a beef bourguignon. You know, like I mean, like a stew. You know, like a, like a really like kind of like really thick viscosity stew. It really sticks to your ribs. It's it's absolutely delicious. Good to see that it's landing. And we talked about this before. It's good to see that um, Convoy is really being recognized, not only among foodies, but also among the city. They just got that uh, freeway sign that got put up. The city spent money to put up a freeway sign that says the Pan, um, Pan Asian Cultural Center, I believe it is, or Cultural Destination, you know, so that people on the freeway, if you're not from San Diego, you're just driving in an Uber, you're like, oh, whoa, that that's interesting. You know, and you can, it, it directs you to get off and go to the community. So nice convoy. Excellent. So that was your hot plates this week. Just as a reminder, Marie does put up a blog post every week on San Diego magazine.com uh, linking to all of these stories. So please come to the web website and visit. Also, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Do you have any questions, any rec need recommendations for takeout a guest you'd like to see on the show? Or if you would like to sponsor this show, let us know. Give us a call at 619-744-0535 and leave us a voicemail. Or if you want, you can also email us at happyhalfhour at sdmag.com. And today we have, as mentioned, a great special guest, Megan Stone, the media coordinator of Society Brewing Company in Claremont. Megan was recently just named the first ever person of the year by the Craft Beer Marketing Awards. Megan's love for beer took them from Baltimore to San Diego. Marketing and brewing beer has taken Megan all across the country and to the UK, where they started brewing internship with Lane Brew for people from marginalized groups who wish to enter the craft beer industry. As a member of the San Diego Guild Inclusion Committee and social media influencer with 34,000 followers, Megan seeks to promote diversity, equality, inclusion within the craft beer community. We also have an awesome story about Megan in the March 2021 issue of San Diego Magazine. So Megan, how did you how did you find yourself on this career path? I mean, how did you find yourself attracted to beer and like and specifically to and like promoting it, you know, and using what you can do on social media, you know, to kind of spread that word and not only spread the word of the beer, but also uh, for DEI, you know, I mean, diversity, equity, inclusion. Initially, uh, my interest in beer started back in my hometown of Baltimore. Um, I was introduced to craft beer by a friend of mine who just kept taking the, like, the local shitty lager out of my hand and, and putting, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> much more interesting beers in my hand. And, and then I just sort of realized how many, I, I guess I didn't realize how many like options and, and varieties of beer that there were out there. And I got obsessed with, um, discovering those beers and I started working at a beer centric restaurant called Beeroteca in Baltimore and I think there were like 20 something almost 30 rotating taps and a lot of bottles and cans as well and just wanted to try everything um, they were always having us sample things um, so that we could be knowledgeable for our guests and I got really into sours back in like 2013 there um, and and from there I tried to join like a local all women homebrew group in Baltimore, but I ended up moving to Delaware before I could attend any of their meetings. And I moved to Delaware because I was a military wife, but, um, and I ended up getting a job with Dogfish Head there. And that sort of like really fueled my passion. The, the orientation for that job, um, for, it was a seasonal serving job at their brew pub in Rehoboth. And the orientation was a brewery tour. And I just kind of became obsessed from there with, I wanted to learn how everything worked. I just, I never thought about the people who actually made the beer. I just drank it. And um, that's kind of where it all, be <laughs> all began. And then, you know, bugged the local, like little Delaware brewery, uh, Miss Billion River for an internship. It was like one day a week. Um, and whenever I wasn't working at Dogfish Head, I'd call them up. I'd bug them. I'd be like, what are you guys doing today? And I'd be like, oh, we're yeah, just- like, Hi, <laughs> Megan. Hi. <laughs> They'd be like- They'd be like, oh, we're, we're scrubbing floors. And I'd be like, cool, can I come in? Can I help? <laughs> they're like, uh, I guess. And so, yeah, I was there all the time. Um, those guys are, are really rad. Every time I go back to the East Coast, I drive from Baltimore to Delaware. It's like two, two and a half hours just to see them. So, um, so you stalked them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's I stalk everyone. That's how I like most of the jobs that I've gotten in beer weren't weren't hiring i just showed up and like with a red <laughs> hand and i was like i want to work here and um and one of the one of the places i worked at too they had a job posting for a seller person and i wasn't a seller person at all i had no experience i was a brewer and um <laughs> i was like hey i want to work here 
Um, I don't know. That's kind of how I approach it, but yeah. And then with, with everything with like, I mean, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, just kind of naturally developed. I mean, the beer industry is well known for not being Mm -hmm. entirely inclusive of, of all people. It's a lot of like, you know, bearded, beer belly, straight, um, white guys. And yeah, so I just, I started having some not so great experiences and I'm someone who doesn't take a lot of shit. (laughs) So I got kind of tired of of it and started speaking up about it. And I had a platform to do so and then started utilizing my platform for that. And it just kind of like, just kind of developed from there. Can you tell me, can you give us a re- like a um, specific example of, of that? Like, I mean, how, because you empowered yourself because you had a platform, you know, and you, you saw some unfair treatment going on in some of the in- industry. You know, how did you, what's, you don't have to go into the actual um, event, but I mean, how did you use your platform to really kind of combat that or, you know, or kind of try to shift the conversation or illuminate the other side? I used a lot of, um, I experienced a lot of things, not only as someone in the industry, as like a worker, but also as a consumer and also, so like online, I'd, I'd get a lot of comments and I would share them with people, not necessarily to be dramatic about it, but to, to show people like, Hey, this actually happens. Like, this is what's going on. Um, because people can't have the same perspective, you know, as, as a gay woman in beer, um, or I can't have the same perspective as someone who's like black or Asian in beer. So it's like, I wanted to give people who, you know, weren't women or weren't LGBTQ the perspective of like how, dif- how people are treated differently and that it's not, there, there aren't always pleasant things going on. And so I think that was sort of my first step was, was giving people that perspective and then um, sort of educating people or encouraging people to um, also maybe speak up about it or try to make a difference in their in their own way to to be more inclusive and, and welcoming. And was it the usual stuff like you know you try to you you knowing craft beer walk into a craft beer and they're like oh hi sweetie we have loggers over here or we also have a wine list was it that kind of bad or was it like a um, assuming you had no knowledge or was it like I, I don't know can you give us an example? Yeah. I mean, it's a variety of things. It's as like one time I was at a a festival that was like a pink boots festival. And I told a woman that like, you know, I was introduced to somebody and I was like, Oh yeah, I just like started working for McKellar. And, um, they were like, Oh cool. Like, you know, how's the, how's the tasting room there? And I'd be like, Oh, I'm not a beer tender. Like I'm a brewer. And so it's, it's as small as like people just assuming that because I'm a woman that I'm not on the production side. And then it, you know, I've been at places where, <laughs> excuse my language, but um, I've had people, I've had bosses say like, they're going to milk that dyke for all she's worth, or they're going to fuck me straight. Um, so it's really just like a broad spectrum of, of things. And whether it's like, just kind of assuming things based off of like society norms, um, or just straight out being like, discriminatory and and exclusive well and that's the beautiful thing about this this day and age right i mean i think for a long time uh, those of us you know and me obviously not as much i'm a white male in america in a white male american society but i mean you know people who do who have been historically um you know treated shitty you know have been you know discriminated against you know they, they felt like beholden to their boss. They felt like they couldn't speak out. They felt like they couldn't use their platform to, you know, um, adjust the conversation to illuminate why this isn't right, you know, but you were able to, you were able to use social media for what I perceive perceive as good, you know, and and do you feel, were you scared when you first did this? Were you, you know, did, did you, I think it takes guts. I think it takes guts to, you know, call people's behavior into light, you know, um, were you afraid of losing your job? Were you, you know, was it, or were you just like, you know what, this is the right thing to do with what I have? Um, it's a very real feeling for not just myself, but most people on why they don't speak up is being afraid of losing your job um, and of being blacklisted in the community. Cause it's like, there's people who are like, oh, well, if she's gonna like, maybe she's crazy and she's just making things up. And what if she comes here and does that to us? And it's like, I don't know what says, which says something about that company, you know, really, but, um, yeah, I, I 
<laughs> honestly, I'm afraid to name places and people. I'm afraid to name places that like, and call them out from my experience and what's happened to me because I, I am afraid like a, like a lot of the places that I had pretty bad experiences at are pretty well loved and well known. And so it's hard to be that person who is trying to tell people like, Hey, you know, your favorite brewery, like <laughs> they're assholes. Like they're, mm-hmm. and, um, there's a lot of people who like, don't want to listen. Um, I mean, I'll, I'm still going to put it out there. I'll tell people in person, but it's not, it's not something like, I don't know. I just think there's a time and a place for, for calling people out. Um, and I don't ever want to like attack people, um, online, but I try to put it, I try to just use examples and try to encourage conversation give people another perspective. I try to do it in a very thoughtful way. Um, because I still think that that has a big impact. I think that's a great call. And I think if you create an umbrella like that without publicly shaming people, because once you, once you publicly shame people immediately, I mean, if they, they are continual abusers of the situation, or if they're continually bad, bad actors, then yeah, somebody should call them out. You know? But I think if you paint a bigger conversation in, in a society way, hopefully that good change will sink into, they will see that change, they will see that conversation and change their own behavior. Have you seen, and again, not asking specifics, because that, that, that's not what your MO is, like a specific uh, place but have you seen real change like come out has anybody come up to you and said you know what we hadn't thought about that you know and you know we kind of changed we had a conversation with our staff or whatever have you have you felt real change happen um people message me a lot um about that i inspired them in in some way whether it was like a woman or someone who's queer um trying to enter the beer industry and they were afraid before and and I made them feel a bit more comfortable and like reassured or I've had people come to I had someone come to me several months ago after sharing a lot of supportive things you know regarding like Black Lives Matter and they were like I used to be an all lives matter person and like you've shared a lot of like insightful posts in your stories and and I just want to like thank thank you for like you know I I can see like you know a, a different side of it, or I can, I can see it a little more clearly and, and realize, you know, that I was wrong. And, um, and I have a lot of people all the time. It's like, I feel like every other day people are coming into my DMS and telling me, um, either like agreeing with me and like thanking me for like sharing things, or they are thankful that like, I kind of gave them another like perspective into things. So tell us about the Craft Beer Marketing Awards. How did that all come to be? Were you nominated? Um, how did they find you? Yeah, um, initially they reached out to me to be on their judging panel and I thought it sounded like a really cool opportunity. It was very different from things that I had participated in the past. Like I've been a professional brewer for five years. And so a lot of the judging things that I've done in the past were were like beer judging where like I, um, I, every year I try to, I try to judge beer and, and I do the San Diego international beer festival a lot. Um, but this is the first time I got to do something in marketing. So that was really fun. And we were given like two to three categories each to judge and, and share our thoughts on. And it was exciting to see like different entries from different breweries. Um, and then, yeah, the, so I was nominated by, the rest of the judges for this award, which was pretty surprising and humbling. And just like, there's so many people that I respect personally in the industry and just to be thought of in, in that way and to be recognized for something that I'm so passionate about. And I, I put a lot of effort and care into it was felt really good. That's amazing. So you mentioned kind of like beer fests and things along those lines. And we talked a little bit about events earlier. How do you think we'll see kind of these beer fest taster events? Do you think we're going to see a big change in any of those coming up over the next year? Do you think it's going to go back a little bit more normal? I mean, I think, I think beer fest will be one of the first things to come back. They were already pretty spaced out and a lot of them were outdoors anyways, at least in San Diego, because because we have such great weather. Um, so we're able to do that, but I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that beer festivals historically have always offered space, um, and, and the ability to socially distance even pre pandemic. So I, I think, I think we'll see them probably towards the end of the year. And how has like, uh, 
this year for you, as far as marketing gone for a brewery, how has that really kind of changed uh, with, for instance, with society? First of all, I mean, it was, um, this is my first professional marketing role. A lot of what I've done in the past is like consulting for people, running my own account, running other people's accounts. But, um, and when I initially came back to town, I was looking for a production job, a brewing job, but I ended up in this role and, and I'm grateful for it. I love it there. It's challenging and it's fun and rewarding. But, um, if I would have been in a production role, I would have like been laid off and lost my job. Um, mm. but I was kept on in a marketing role because I was essential and sort of updating the public on what was going on because things were changing every single day. And that was another thing is just like adapting quickly. Um, and <laughs> I mean, I remember like not that long ago, like end of the year, we were, we were open for like a, a weekend maybe. And then we had to shut back down. And so I had to like archive posts or delete posts and just like put something else up. And, um, and I feel like things have been a little smoother recently, but in the beginning, it was definitely about adapting like daily. Like I did not have a functioning like marketing calendar because I was like, I can't, Oof. I can't make a calendar. Like, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know what, what tomorrow is going to be like. And what do you think, you know, now in terms of what are the, I, I think it seems to me like Brooklyn Brewery just announced a, a big partnership, you know, that's um, promoting inclusion and, and diversity and equity. Um, you know, do you think that the industry is making big enough changes? Do you think that, um, and what is one of the main things that needs to change about the industry that you would like to see change? You know, I mean, as somebody who's really fighting for you know, equity. I mean, personally, I would say I don't think the industry is making big enough changes, but that's because I'm someone who has been pushing for this for a very long time and I'm very vocal about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people are scared to um, because they're scared of offending people or doing things incorrectly. And I mean, that's understandable to an extent, but I feel like we're all learning and we're all growing and it's just part of the process. And if you don't try, then you're, you're not going to learn. Um, I think the apprenticeships are great. Um, something that, you know, I, I launched an apprenticeship in the UK with Lane and what was important with that is that that person was paid and mm -hmm. that that person, they also received like a certificate. Um, so like formal education and they also had training, um, people come in from another company and sort of train the team on to be more inclusive and, and all that. So I feel like, you know, th those are some things that I don't know all the details of all the apprenticeships, but sure. I feel like there's some really important aspects that could be included instead of just being like, Hey, look, we hired someone who looks different. And we've been having a lot of conversations in the DEI, like in the inclusion committee for the San Diego Brewers Guild. And we've been talking about like, cause they're like, okay, like we're trying to make this toolkit for breweries about how to, you know, be more welcoming, be more inclusive, be a safe space. And they're like, okay, well, a lot of breweries want to know about how to hire these people on. And I was like, okay, well, wait, you can't just hire people on without being able to like, <laughs> without having the resources or the knowledge on how to make these people feel safe in like, mm -hmm. you have to do a company culture audit first. Like that's right. the initial step is to make sure that you're bringing people into a space where, you know, they do feel welcome and, and respected. You can't just hire these people on for like a, um, just to like save face or to like, you know, throw a bandaid on something. So I think that, you know, I think that businesses and people need to think a lot more about those things. Um, and not just having sort of a, um, I forget the word for it, but it's like when you're just sort of doing something for, for looks performative, like, can't just do something performative and um, just expect people to be like, oh, cool, they're inclusive now. Because like the people in those marginalized groups, like, you know, they know, we know. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and, and I think that like some of these efforts will stick around. I think that some of these efforts are genuine and they're great. Um, but I think that there are a lot of people out there who are trying to save face. But ultimately, I think it's like, this is the way the world's going. And I, I think that over time, like those less inclusive and like discriminatory sort of places will get weeded out. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole learning process, right? You know I mean? It's, it's, and the thing about making change is it's hard. It takes a lot of work. 
It really does. And a lot of people don't want to put in that work. They'd rather just hire somebody, you know, who's LGBTQ, you know, who is, you know, a, a person of color who is, you know, and say like, okay, good, we have the diversity and we'll kind of learn as we go along, you know, but you really, I think you're absolutely right. There needs to be structural changes first. There needs to be a safe landing for somebody who has traditionally been, you know, on the outside of the industry or, or pushed to the outside of the industry and not welcomed in the industry, you know, and th that takes a lot of work. We all need to be willing to put in that long work, right? And that hard, you know, and finances, you need to, you know, to take people's working hours to study how to make it a safe place, you know, to, you know, how to, what words not to say, like, I just learned this week, and you know, I'm learning every single day, you know, somebody, I used a story called, I was trying to find the best po' boy in San Diego, and I called it a vision quest, you know, and I didn't realize somebody DM'd me, you know, on Facebook and said, you know what, that's actually really, um, you know, disrespectful to indigenous cultures. And I was like, oh my God, I, I always use it as a positive thing. I just, I thought I was using it as a quest period, you know, and I used to put the vision on it. And I, I thank you for reaching out. If you have a, a, you know, list of words that indigenous cultures, uh, you know, have been traditionally used by media that are, you know, insensitive, please send it to me, you know, and I, I, I deleted it. I'm not going to use that phrase anymore, like, but it takes time and it takes work to do all of this. And you have to be able to willing to do it at the structural level, like you're saying. And I think that's great that you were so like receptive to that too. I think that's really important for, um, for both sides. Like, um, I'm definitely learning too. There's definitely mistakes that I make. I don't want to come off. Like I know everything or I'm perfect, but sure. if someone comes into my DMS and tells me a similar thing, like, you know, I want to be receptive and I want to be respectful to people and, and make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm being, yeah, just respectful to, to anyone, everyone. And I think that there's also another side to it, which is like where, when I try to share things or when I try to educate people, is I try not to like aggressively come at people. So I try to explain mm. people. And so I think there's two sides to it. Um, because if I came off very intensely to people, then they might sort of like crawl back into that shell and not want to learn and not want to try. And so I think that, you know, both parties, it's important. Yeah, I mean, we saw that with even the, the politics, you know, I mean, I, I you know, you, people yelling at each other doesn't work, you know, I mean, it really, at the end of the day, you just push everybody back into the corners, you know, it's like, if you just say, okay, this kind of hurts me for this reason, I just want to let you know that, you know, or, you know, I just want to help you understand why this is hurtful to a certain group of people, and myself included, you know, I think that works better. You know, like that woman did that to me and she was very nice about it. And she, she explained it. And I was like, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Never use the word again. I, there are a lot more words in the English language that I can pick. I definitely would not like to use one that offends an entire, you know, um, culture in, in the U.S. You know, but anyways. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but so, enough, enough about me. What is your favorite thing at Society Brewing? Now you're at Society. Tell me, like, what is the one thing you love about that company? What makes you come back every single day? The company culture, the people. Yeah. Um, when I came back to, so I, I spent a little bit of time back on the East Coast in 2019. And then when I drove back to um, San Diego, I had a very small list of breweries that met, like, I sort of restructured my priority list in, in regards to a job. And honestly, the quality of the beer wasn't at the top anymore, which like, for the record, society makes incredible beer. And I got mm -hmm. lucky to, you know, hit my entire list with society. Um, and that's why they were number one on my list. But, um, my priorities changed because originally I wanted to like work for some really rad breweries and, and, um, I wasn't necessarily thinking about company culture or anything like that. And so company culture was number one for me. Number two and three were like, you know, decent pay and standards and benefits because that in the brewing industry, it's, it's hard to find. Um, and then, you know, lower on that list was quality of beer because I was in production and I felt like, okay, well, I could have an impact on, on this beer and, and bring sort of like, you know, practices from other breweries that I've been at doing it right. And I could impact this beer. Um, but I got lucky with society. And um, I mean, some of the other breweries on my list too were like Pure Project, Pizza Port. Um, there are some really rad breweries out there that are, that are doing great things, but society, I, yeah, I essentially stalked them again. <laughs> and <for> us, <laughs> I like, and they were really busy. Like Doug was really busy. Like they were getting, right. we were getting canning line in and, and set up and everything. And so I was like calling and emailing like a couple months before I came back to town. And then one day I just kind of like showed up and 
they, yeah, they, they gave me that interview for production, but they're like, oh, we're not really hiring. And like, what about marketing? And that's how I got into that. But I mean, the people here, like Doug is fantastic. I mean, anybody who knows Doug, I think says the same thing. And like my boss, Mike is really great. He challenges me and like supports me and encourages me like every day. And I think everyone who works here is incredibly passionate about beer and what they do and about society and just like growing it, making it a better place um, continuously. And everyone here is very genuine and respectful. Everyone here, they're just, they're just solid people. Like we're all friends here. I hang out like a lot of these people, like I hang out with outside of work and um, they're just, they're good at, they're great at their jobs too. They're hard workers. Like I just, I really admire like everything about these people. And it's just great to have this little, uh, I think there's like 30 of us maybe. And it's just great to have like this family here. And, and I like, I like coming into work every day. I don't have that like dread on Sundays, you know, the anxiety of like going back into work. Um, but yeah. And, and honestly, like my fridge is always full of society beer, always <laughs> drinking it like, and proud to drink it, proud to share it. So it's just, this is probably like one of the best jobs I've ever had. Awesome. I mean, and that's honestly, and not just blowing sunshine up our, 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 our motherships, um, you know, skirt here, but I mean, it was, it basically is the same thing for San Diego magazine, you know, like, I mean, that's, that's, that's reason why I stay here as, as long as I have, you know, like Marie and David, we get to show up and like, it doesn't matter how well you can write or how well you do gra graphics or how good you are as an editor. If the people suck, you don't want to show up. You don't know, you don't want to work, you know, or if somebody makes you feel uncomfortable or if somebody makes you, you know, feel like it's just, just a job, you know, you're just a number like that, that you have to have that culture. Yeah, I feel, I feel very valued and appreciated here. And I think that's something that like was lacking at some of my other jobs where like, I felt like I put a lot of effort in and it was not that I needed like constant, you know, reassurance or like affirmations, but I just feel like, you know, when I do things here, they're like recognized and like everyone's recognized here. And um, it's just, it's great to be surrounded by like like-minded people as well. Awesome. So what kind of uh trends do you see coming out for craft beer in 2021 or whatnot is is our hazy's gonna finally go away our sour's gonna become hazies. more popular uh, <laughs> no they're today and i think it's funny like when they first came around i was like such a hater and i was like Psh. and uh the brewery i was working at the time we were like gonna make a hazy and i was like the whole production crew was like uh and we're like i was like can we call it bandwagon and i thought it would be a trend <laughs> I, I honestly, I, and I can appreciate any beer style. I don't, I don't necessarily like order a hazy or gravitate towards them, but I can definitely appreciate them. I've brewed a lot of them in the past. Um, but what I like about them is, is I feel like they're a good introductory beer for people. They're um, a lot of non-beer drinkers um, or people who don't typically drink IPAs. I think they're great. And I, and you can say that about a lot of styles. Like it's just, it's good to have a variety for, you know, different palettes. But I, and I've been saying this for like a year or so now that I think like lower ABV session style beers are going to come back um, into, you know, they're going to, they're going to trend a little bit more. And then I also think that, you know, I think that the hazy dessert stouts, the adjunct filled beers will be around to stay, but I think people will like have, a, a newly, I don't know, another like a resurgence of like appreciation for more traditional styles um, with like, like clean, just kind of cleaner, less like things thrown into them, less like punchy, like fruit flavors and just more like, a, you know, celebrating like a few ingredients instead of, you know, throwing, throwing everything in there. So the whole internship that you'd set up with Lane Brew, what is it like brewing in the UK compared to the US? Like, uh, is there any big differences on how it works or anything like that? Totally. So when I first started writing the recipe with them, I was still, this was like months before I went and I was in the US, um, obviously. And, and I gave them a recipe for like a double IPA and they're like, no one's going to do that. like, <laughs> 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 We drink like three, four, maybe like 5% over there is crazy. Um, 
which I actually really liked because I, I do appreciate the, the lower ABV beers. I'm small, I'm a lightweight, and it's nice to be able to like drink a few beers and try some things without feeling like you're tanked um, after one or two. But yeah, it's very, it's very different over there. Um, just in terms of like styles, they definitely like more bitter um, beer and just like the brewing process is a little bit differently as, is a little bit different as well. And that's something that I really enjoy when I go to different breweries, people make fun of me, but I love doing brewery tours because I love to, I don't need to hear the story of how they make beer like <laughs> 5,000 <000 laughs> times, but just seeing people's equipment, you know, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat. And at the end of the day, we're all producing beer, but how we get there is like really interesting to me. So I mean, they Lane specifically didn't have rakes in like their mash tun, which was wild to me. And at their, hmm. their main ability, I forget the, um, their masks all different too. I mean, we use like barrels over here and, um, I think they use like hectoliters. So that was confusing, but, um, yeah, they don't have rakes in it at their main facility. I was, they get in there and they shovel just like, like thousands of pounds of grain out of this mash tun and, I was like, that's gnarly. Like, <laughs> I'd, I'd do it once for the experience, but that's not something I'd sign up for every day. Um, but yeah, and then and then while I was over there, like I visited Belgium and, and you know, went to Cantillon and, and saw some really like manual old school equipment. And yeah, the equipment's definitely very different and the styles too. And just traveling for everywhere, like styles and the popularity of them, it's it's different than the U.S., where is the best place that everyone can find you on social media and whatnot with your 35,000 followers? How do you curate all that content? I stopped. I used to post almost daily. And now I just kind of post whenever I have the time and whenever I feel inspired. Um, and I have an archive of stuff. Like I still have stuff from Belgium and, and the UK. But yeah, I mean, people can find me like is beer carb on Instagram. That's probably like my main spot. Um, is beer a carb, right? It's at is beer a carb. <laughs> it's a mean girls joke. And like, part of me is like, uh, <laughs> like the dumbest like jokes with that with handle. And I'm like, sometimes I regret that I named it that. Um, Come on. It was almost a <laughs> clueless reference actually, but the, the clueless, clueless reference was like a mouthful. Awesome. Well, talking more about food, let's jump into two people, 50 bucks. Megan, where are you going? Okay like right now during a pandemic because they're like there's one place that i really love that's not open so okay maybe can i do two you can sure. do as many Absolutely. as you'd like <laughs> okay um so i refuse to try ramen until within the last like couple years okay as a vegetarian people don't get exciting with vegetarian ramen it's very just like thrown together but there's this place that just kills it um they're called hachi they're in like bankers hill and i think they they own like a sushi place that's open right now i think it's called azuki um but yeah hachi ramen is just like incredible and and most of the other spots that i've had around town that are open right now just don't compare so like that's got to be you know if it wasn't a pandemic with things shut down that that'd be my spot but um there's this taco spot in Hillcrest and I'm gonna butcher the name I think it's like La Vicindad like neighborhood tacos um so they they do like authentic like Mexican tacos but then they put sort of like little American twists on it they jam pack your tacos with with stuff and um then they have some pretty bomb margaritas and this little little spot in Hillcrest and and I I don't know I just that's my jam. So what kind of taco? What's your favorite taco? It's got to be like a wait, wait, uh, grilled portobello mushroom. I, I, no, I'm, trying to... I, I'm a vegetarian who hates mushrooms. What? The ribeye in the forest? Oh, <laughs> I also, okay, I'm going to tell you guys something right now and you're going to be so offended. I need to preface it with I'm not from California. I'm not from San Diego, but I also... <laughs> don't like avocados or guacamole <laughs> but before you judge me too hard i'm the friend you want to have around because usually my vegetarian tacos come with guac and avocado and i will put them on the side for my friends free um, guac so oh. you don't have to pay yes you don't have to pay the like five dollars extra or whatever it is for <laughs> guac. 
So <laughs> yeah. now yeah. you're rethinking judging me right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I judged you so hard on the avocado thing. And then I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa okay, okay. I can get a taco with you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I like their uh, Papa's tacos and then their chili relleno tacos. They're really good. Um, yeah. I mean, they have, they have a huge menu with a ton of great stuff. So meat eater, vegetarian, vegan, they've got you covered. I will also agree with you on the vegetarian ramen that most places it's not done well at all. I find that too many places just add way too much corn into the vegetarian ramen. And I just feel like the broth, I'm just drinking like corn juice. And you it's can't, like, corn. You can't even pick up the corn with the chopsticks. <laughs> no, you can't. So I'm like, I actually intentionally ask for it when I get vegetarian ramen, be like, no corn. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, the next best place I've found still doesn't come close to Haji because like, it's just so good. Um, underbelly. And then I'll add like Brussels sprouts to it. Mm. but yeah Marie how about you so my pick this week is something that I was skeptical about and I wasn't sure how it was going to work um the kimchi quesadilla at Bopjo at Liberty Public Market so you pick the meat and I went with bulgogi because you can't go wrong right and it's the kimchi with cheese. That's what I really couldn't wrap my head around. And I know that that's specifically, I think it's like a very LA thing to have cheese mixed with, you know, certain um, kind of new wave Korean dishes, but it, it, it just comes together and it, it just, it just works. It's, it's fusion that um, I, I can't say enough good things about it. The quesadillas um, crispy and you get the cheese pull and then the acidity of the kimchi and then, and then the meat. Uh, Bob Joe at Liberty Public Market. Now, I, Marie, I agree with the the thinking behind why kimchi and cheese would be disgusting, because <laughs> you know you, well, you just don't. I mean, I, I love kimchi and I love cheese, but I mean, I would never think to have like that fermented, highly acidic thing and then just melt some like you know mozzarella over the top. You know, it just seems like they don't go. But then again, you think about salsas. Salsas are really almost fermenty. You know, I mean, if you you let them sit for a couple of days, you know, they, they almost have that like high zing fermentation and salsa and cheese and in a quesadilla that works. So I, I can see how that would work. Yeah, I think it was the amount of cheese needed in a quesadilla. That probably is what threw me off. Because like I've had, you know, the um, Korean tacos, you know, which Roy Choi started. And it's like, I think because the ingredient, the amount of the ingredients are kind of balanced that I can wrap my head around. Yeah, I thought, okay, this quesadilla filled with cheese and kimchi, not going to work. But yeah, it, it does. Anyway, I'm going on about it, but go try it. <laughs> I think it also works because if you think about it, when you get a grilled cheese sandwich, what comes on the side? You get a pickle. That's fermented. I mean, so the two totally make sense that they go together. I think it sounds delicious. All right. All right. Nice work, David. All right. yep. Troy, you. Um, I, today, I, I'm still doing um, po'boys. And today, I'm, I'm releasing the final list, I believe. Um, you know, my search for the best po'boy in San Diego. And really, again, you know, anybody's out there listening and this story is going to come out, you know, this is not an altar of my own opinion. I do not pull my opinion and more self and more esteem than anybody else's opinion. I use these lists to find the best of in San Diego just to get to know local restaurants, you know, and like to focus my search. So I get to know the stories of the small people and it helps me, helps me kind of get into smaller places that I wouldn't necessarily like aren't new didn't don't have a new story to tell or whatever i'm able to focus on them so anyways one of the places that i'm including on the list that's out this week is shot collar so shot collar is um is owned by streetcar merchants um this is owned by a ron sewell and uh Reve smith ron sewell is has one of the greatest stories like when he was five years old he's a natural born salesman he was five years old everybody in his class would forget their number two pencils and i don't know if you remember what it was like to grow up in the 1980s and go to school none of you do so i'm just going to tell you the story um <laughs> if you didn't have a number two pencil you couldn't take the test apparently number ones and threes all they could write was like just give me the f right you know so you had to have a number two pencil and everybody would forget him so ron sewell will get five dollars a week from his mom to go down for um, lunch money he would take that down to walmart and he'd get Starburst and Skittles and number two pencils. So he would sell them to all of his classmates whenever they'd show up without a number two pencil and he'd make like 25 cents or whatever. So this just predated or presaged his success as a businessman in San Diego. And I talked to him about being a black owned business in San Diego. He had the most brilliant approach to launching in North Park. And I asked him why he launched in North Park with streetcar merchants as the original spot. 
And he said, look, I could have gone into Lincoln Park. You know, he's like, but if I had started there, you know, he's like, my, you know, fellow black community would have called me a sellout if I went to North Park. So I started with the white community. I started making, giving them soul food in 2000, I think it was 2013 that he started. Um, started giving them soul food, made a name there. And then I went down to Lincoln Park. And hopefully I'll show people from like a mixed community, not all white, of course, but I mean, a mixed community in North Park, that it's okay to come down to Lincoln Park, which is, you know, really heavily black Americans, you know, so he's like, I'm showing people that it's okay to come down here. And he opened up Shot Caller there. It's this little street soul food spot. And they've got this traditional po' boy. And it's just awesome. It's it's nothing um, out of the box creative. It's nothing, you know, like Tim Burton does a po' boy. It's just a perfect remoulade and like, <laughs> you know, fried shrimp. And it's just, it, it's a French bread that he gets the Liedenheimer French bread that Louisianans will tell you is the only way that you get, the only place to get French bread. It's just a beautiful little sandwich. And his whole story is on the um our my part of the website the feed and it, he really talks about like his strategy of being a black owned business in san diego and it was fascinating to me you know and i think that it's a really well worth a read get his fr fried shrimp po boy down there at shot collar do they do an oyster po boy i don't i don't know they do it they do a, a fire chicken a really spicy chicken I am not, I, I love spicy food. That thing absolutely mustard gassed my mouth. I could not even handle it. It was too much for me. Oh. So if you really love spicy food though, go try that one too. And I, I know at um, Streetcar Merchants, they also have a, a bunch of different um, po' boys. So you can try, kind of get an idea of what they're doing um, up there in North Park too. Amazing, amazing. I definitely will want to try that. Kind of piggybacking on the whole breweries being able to open without food. Well, that is, Definitely a great thing. I do worry about all of the food trucks that have been doing much better because of uh, needing to be required for food and drink at these breweries that don't have kitchens. I'm still all about supporting the brewery and I'm also about all supporting all these uh, food trucks. But so there's this really cool food truck called Rice or Death. Very cool aesthetic. It's super kind of like old school punk rock, like think like misfits type stuff, things along those lines. And basically it's just like they do a whole bunch of different types of rice bowls. And you can basically choose from either like uh, a white rice, a brown rice, or they do cauliflower rice. And then they'd have just a crazy, crazy group of things that you can order. Anything from like things that have like hot dogs in them to vegetarian things. And I'm personally like what I really like is they have a, a, a they're real vegetarian option one is this one called don't forget your roots and it's uh they actually smoke their own tofu it also has kimchi some sliced carrots some green beans whatnot um and basically do that with your choice of rice and it's it's delicious and you can find them at a lot of breweries i don't know if they go to society but i, I do know they go to fall brewing three punks those ones but uh yeah hey, and enter no enter noah can you unmute yourself? Come on, as somebody who's at Point Loma Naz, where do you go and eat? Where's your favorite uh, place to eat? You doesn't have to be in that neighborhood or whatever. Come on, give us one. Yeah, yeah. So one of my favorite, all-time favorite burrito spots, like this is, I think, first or second place. It's hard to decide. But it's called Ortiz's Taco Shop. And it's this little taco shop off Voltaire Street. And it's you get the Cali burrito with guac and an orange haritos. And it's just this phenomenal experience. Like the meat is so tender. They got like all the sauces in there, the cheese is all melted in there and it's just amazing. Fantastic. God, I remember when I could just have a big old bomb burrito and an orange soda and not just completely like, my, my, my body just expands. It starts its na natural expansion. You know, you're in college, you work that off by the morning and you're gonna be totally oh, yeah. fine. Yeah. I would sleep for three days. Yeah. Right, that still happens, but it's worth it for sure. <laughs> Awesome. Well, that is another week of San Diego Magazine's Happy Half Hour. Once again, Megan, where can people find you? What's the best way for them to follow you? They can find me on Instagram at um, isbeeracarb. Awesome. And I, I would like to thank you for sitting in your car. If you, I mean, obviously you guys can't, at, listeners can't see this. She's been sitting in her front seat of her car now for an hour. So I really, I, I really appreciate your perspective. I, I love what you've done for equity and diversity in the industry of beer, which, you know, definitely every industry has needed it, but beer, especially I felt for a while. Um, so thank you for what you're doing. And um, I really appreciate you spending your time with us today. Yeah. Thanks so much for the support. This has been fun. Awesome. Awesome. Great. You can find Troy at Hey Troy Johnson on Instagram. You can email Marie at Marie T at sdmag.com. And you can find me on Instagram at David Eli Martin. 
And we uh, thank you for joining us and listening this week. We will uh, we'll talk to you all again next week. See you guys. Bye.